Truncated Thoughts presented by Pre-Scouter. Our show focuses on big ideas in life science. I'm Jeremy Schmier, and with me is Dr. Michael Boot and Joao Guerrero. We had planned to discuss proteomics today, but there is another topic we felt couldn't wait, boosters. While many of us have gotten our COVID-19 vaccines, the pandemic continues. Many drug companies are working on booster shots to further strengthen our immunity against COVID-19. However, there are a lot of opinions out there about the function of the booster, whether it's necessary and who it may be necessary for. Today, we're going to try to give you our perspective. So Joao, why don't you start us off by describing boosters in more general terms? Yeah, certainly. So a booster in, in a vaccine context is typically just giving you another dose of that same vaccine. You know, when you're first given a vaccine, you develop a certain immune response. And, and that just goes down over time. Now, there's some diseases where that's enough for you to be protected for life. There's others when there's that's not the case. And, you know, there's it's not fully understood while some of them, you know, it, it lasts forever and others you, you need to, you know, keep giving that, that booster. Let's say because you have stuff like tetanus where you, you give a booster every 10 years to, to keep immunity. Um, in the case of COVID, it's a bit different. It's not necessarily just a booster in the sense that you're not going to get the same vaccine. It's going to be adjusted to also cover the new strain. So more akin of what we're used to see every year with the seasonal influenza vaccines. So maybe this might be a question for Michael then. Is this, this booster will accommodate us as the, the, the virus continues to come out with these different variants. Um, Michael, how does that work? Yeah, so typically what we see also with the new variants um, coming up, uh, whereas we first had alpha, beta, we have delta, we have now have gamma variants coming up. Each of these have a slightly different um, sort of makeup uh, if you look at it from the outside of the virus. And so if you train your immune system to detect one variant and a new variant looks slightly different, your immune system will need a bit of extra time to recognize it in a way where you can combat the virus effectively. And so these boosters, if you add in some of these, you can almost call it like outside like clothing of a virus. If you, if you learn your immune system or teach it to recognize certain outsides of these viruses effectively, it will give it an advantage in case it encounters that specific variant. So you could give it, show it a picture of the Delta variant clothing. You could give it a picture of the Gamma variant and there, thereby, um, yeah, train it properly. I like the way you're, you're simplifying that with, with clothing and pictures, almost like training a child. <laughs> so Yeah, well, it, it is very similar, actually, because you, you have to imagine that uh, the first time these these viruses or these, uh, in this case, vaccines get into the body, um, your immune system is, as we call, naive to the situation. It doesn't know how to respond. And so this whole training program, the first time, is very rigorous, but also not going to be the most specific and fast route to getting um, immunity. And so this is why we have a second dose of the vaccine to get additional um, training that is sort of gives your immune system a better handle on that. So maybe this question is for either of you. Is, is the booster, is the contents of the booster something different or is it more of the same? Like how much different is what is in the booster than the original vaccine? 
So from the point of view of, I know, a vaccine is going to be very similar. Um, you know, going back to that analogy that Michael was giving in terms of the clothing, the issue is, is that, I know, typically our antibodies, they recognize a, a small portion of, let's say, the, the surface of a protein of, um, of the virus that we want to identify and eventually, I know, kill without uh, causing a lot, of, um, a lot of major complications. The problem is, if a tiny bit of that changes, you know, the antibodies that, you know, we train our, our body to, to produce will no longer recognize it. So it needs to create new ones. And that can take time. And depending on, I know, of your population, some of them can take a lot of time and, that, and then give enough time of the virus to multiply and, and then start, I know, causing serious uh, diseases and conditions. So what needs to happen is, you know, the vaccine producers, they need to look at, um, you know, the new virus variants, right, and understand, okay, so this is what changed, we need to change the vaccine accordingly, but it's just a tiny bit that changes everything else, the package, the production process, all that remains the same. So, I mean, to me, that signals that, you know, the amount of of, of research and just hard labor that goes into producing and making the booster available is not nearly as much as, as the original. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, that is definitely a fair assumption. And the beauty of the mRNA platform is that they, they can synthesize the exact sequence that is required for each of the variants. So they just need to know what the changes are in that variant they change that in their code for the mRNA vaccine and they massively produce it. There's no, it's, it's the quickest way for any of the vaccine technologies available to adapt it. So this platform is extremely well suitable for those rapid changes for variants. And that's really uh, something that compared to other vaccine technologies is, um, is a great benefit. And, and I think that's particularly relevant. And, and I go back to, I know, the influenza vaccines, because that's, I know, the closest case that we have that we know, okay, things that you know, we've seen changing every year, there's new strains, and you need to produce new vaccines. And, and one of the major problems that you've had with uh, influenza vaccines is that you're producing them in eggs. And part of that production process, there's one thing that, I know, scientists have identified as the process by which it is done, there can be some changes to the actual, um, you know, type of antibodies that are being produced due to the fact that you're producing it, you know, into an animal egg, you know, and that has been, some people have, have pointed at that as being responsible for, you know, having a lower effectiveness in terms of the vaccine against certain strains than with what it could have. And what, you know, as Michael explained for the, the mRNA vaccines, you, you just go over that. You don't have any sort of those translation steps uh, that can add, um, I know, potential, I know, mistakes, uh, which as well then, you know, the much more efficient process because, you know, the, I think we've discussed this before on other podcasts, you know, the, old, the traditional process of producing, producing vaccines takes quite a while. There's one additional, the same goes for the, the AstraZeneca, and I'm sure people have heard Johnson & Johnson, those side effects that occur, they're not because of the sequence or the identity of the virus encoding um, the DNA in this case, but they're due to the packaging, the vesicle, the vector that they're using. So getting rid of that, getting rid of the production in uh, of albumin uh, sort of surroundings or, or kind of models in vitro systems, as well as removing that 
packaging that virus factor and just giving that sequence that is the virus with some adjuvants or some packaging material, in this case, some lipids, um, that really uh, decreases the amount of noise that your immune system sees. And it just sees effectively that particular virus um, code. So, so you're saying that it has a, a greater purity. Is that a, a good word to use in this scenario? Absolutely. Yeah. And so there will be less, your immune system will be more focused on what you're actually trying to evoke, which is antibodies against the virus. And some of the adverse events are actually due to structures of the packaging of the viral vector that is not part of COVID or the SARS coronavirus, uh, I have to say, um, but actually against the packaging material. So you can already see that there's evidence that your immune system gets distracted by any other kind of um, structure there. I think that, I know, just to, to clarify another point, because a vaccine includes several things. You have, you know, the part that you're trying to elicit your um, immune response against by, you know, forming those, you know, antibodies that are going to be specific. You know, there's those extra parts that Michael was mentioning that, you know, they, they are part of it because that's how you can, I know, that's, that's the way you, you, you can technically include, you know, the, the virus um, particles that you want. Um, and then you have a, a bunch of other adjuvants um, where was the sole purpose is to make your immune response, you know, go stronger, right? Because ultimately, when you're giving a vaccine, right, you're not giving something that is, is going to cause a lot of problems or it shouldn't cause a lot of problems, but you still want to have a very strong immune response as if you had, a, you know, a very virulent um, virus inside of you, you know, so there's, a you know, different adjuvants that have been shown to, okay, make your immune response be stronger. And that's typically why people feel sick after getting a vaccine, because, you know, you, you are getting, you know, those um, extra you know, immune uh, response system. Now, part of what, you know, vaccine manufacturers have tried to do and optimize is how to minimize the side effects that people feel while still getting, you know, the strongest immune response possible. And that's something that's, I know, very tricky to do. I know that some of the big players there, they're, they're I know, collecting a lot of data, trying to use, I know, the latest machine learning and, and AI tools to kind of understand, hey, oh, what's connected to what? What can, you know, can we change to, you know, get people protection without, I know, the discomforts and, and I know, potentially some more adverse reactions that, that come out of it. So thanks for clarifying that, uh, JG. Uh, what I'd like to understand is, this is the question everybody's asking, right? So how long would a booster protect us? Is this the end? I mean, we're struggling as, as, a, as a nation here in the US and many other parts of the world to, to get vaccines, but let's assume that everybody got the booster um, or a, a good percentage. Is this the end of the pandemic or will we always be getting boosters and more shots. Um, can you guys speak to that a bit? Yeah, one thing to, to know about the uh, immune system is the more often it encounters a specific virus or bacterium, the better it gets trained to combat it. So there is a, what we call primary response. The first time you get a vaccine, there is a secondary response. And that's why we get two shots because the second time around, you're better protected. But there's also tertiary, quaternary responses. So each time you get a booster, your immune system will be better equipped to combat viruses. 
And including some of those variants will make it even better. The answer to the question of how long the boosters will work, I think no one knows because we haven't done those experiments yet. Moderna actually um, released today um, as, as one of the um, first ones, some, some data on uh, the potential efficacy of, of some of these um, uh, booster shots. And I think other companies will, will follow as well in, in sort of looking into how effective that will be um, in, in getting your immune system up and running. I think, will it end the pandemic? It will probably be necessary to get the infections low enough to make sure that it doesn't stay endemic. And even for those situations where it will be partially endemic, people's immune systems will keep on being trained to combat it better and better. And so I, I could um, very optimistically foresee a scenario where this would become more of a cold virus um, as opposed to something that hospitalizes people um, as we get better and better in our immune system to, to combat this. I, I, I think those are, are great points that Michael brought. I, I believe that, um, and regarding on how this is going to move forward, um, I, it's, it's too early to say, right? We, we want to be optimistic and we want to think that, you know, things are going to go the way that, that Michael was describing. You know, there is a chance that um, I know it's going to stay endemic enough that the strains are going to vary enough that you might need to get one of these boosters uh, every year. You know, it's it's just something that we're not sure at this time. If it goes the way that I know the the flu went, you know, you it is possible that you might need one of those boosters every year. And, and the way that works is just it's a bit of a guesswork. You just need to look into what are the strains, how is it evolving, and try and guess. Okay, I'm going to bet that this is going to evolve this way. Let's prepare the vaccines. Let's give it to everyone. Um, and hopefully then, I know, get everyone uh, protected that way. The mRNA vaccines make that process more efficient because nowadays with, with the flu, you'd make those decisions six to nine months before, you know, the actual uh, flu season. So in that period, a lot can change. Uh, so at least we, we have that going for us that these new vaccines can make that period shorter and therefore make us better at predict and therefore be more active. Because when we have a bad prediction, the flu vaccine only works for 30% of the cases, right? And that's not gonna work out for, for COVID. I think that's a great way to break it down, right? So, I mean, the more, the more it changes, the more, you know, we need to continue to, to forecast what those changes will be. And we're not always sure if, if they will be totally accurate. Um, sounds like it's not like the measles um, booster shot where it's like good for life. This is something that will continue to evolve. Um, so I, I appreciate you guys both giving some perspective. We're going to wrap up for today and hope that our listeners enjoyed the conversation. You can certainly subscribe if you would like to listen to future episodes on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. And next week, we will indeed talk about proteomics, but we felt that this topic could not wait. So until then, thanks for listening.